0: Hello family and welcome to the podcast entitled I'm My Sister's Keeper. I'm Carly, your host, and tonight we have in the building a financial veteran who has over 30 years of experience in the financial service industry as both a financial advisor and wealth advisor. I need you guys to do me a favor. Please let's give Lisa a a round of applause for taking time out of her busy schedule to drop by. Uh, this episode is valuable, not only for myself, but, uh, for you guys as well. Lise?
1: Hi, good evening, it's Lisa Hallean. Thank you so much,
0: Carla. Hi, Lise. Happy you, to be here. Thank you, happy to have you. You have such an extensive background. Um, I think I'm just going to let you jump right in, and then, um... I will go over some questions that I received via email and we are seeking assistance uh, around uh, those questions.
1: Okay, great. Well, I'll start by uh, basically telling you a little bit about myself and my career. Uh, I started, as you said, over 30 years ago and being a very young woman, that was almost unheard of. And believe it or not, there's still the same ratio of women to men in the industry, financial services, as there was back then. So uh, it's a great, great industry for women, Um, lots of opportunities, and uh, I've worked with all different types of clients, young, uh, those that are getting ready for retirement, those that are in retirement. I've worked with uh, corporations, I've worked with uh, companies, individuals, and foundations and uh, really the best for me is to work with individuals and help them achieve their goals and and it gives me a great deal of satisfaction as well as uh, comfort in knowing that they are on on the track to uh, achieve those financial goals and life goals. Um, So basically I've worked with lots of investors over the years. I've also worked with financial advisors and uh, for over 21 years trained them. I worked for institutional money managers where I actually did a lot of education uh, with financial advisors and worked with their clients as well, Uh, basically educating on the investment management strategies that were institutional strategies that were made available to individual investors. So that has also been uh, really a great way to uh, work with individuals and clients of other advisors and also help advisors. Um, And so currently, I am a financial advisor, financial planner, work with a lot of uh, investors that are looking to really make sure that they don't run out of money in retirement. That seems to be the number one fear today. And uh, so that's that's basically uh, the basis for a lot of the work that I'm doing these days.
0: Well... Once again, I appreciate you being here because I have several questions in front of me uh, from folks, my listeners, who emailed me and were seeking your guidance. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, so my first email. In this day and age of uncertainty, how does one go about trying to save for a rainy day?
1: Great question. So, and there is so much uncertainty on so many different levels. Absolutely. Um, right. And so we don't know what's, what is really going to be, um, you know, the, the situation surrounding social security, what's going to happen with retirement uh, accounts, what's going to happen with taxes, what's going to happen with the economy, a lot of different issues out there. So the first thing that I would say is that, It's never too late to start saving for a rainy day. It doesn't matter your age, but you have to start somewhere, and just getting getting that part uh, done is important, and uh, you should be commended for that. I think the first thing would probably be to create a budget. I don't really like to use that word. A lot of people get scared of that word, but understanding, really, what you spend on on a day-to-day basis, weekly, monthly basis is really key. Uh, in addition to that, setting reasonable goals, like really savings goals, you know, whether it's you know uh, $10 a week, $100 a week, $1,000 a month, whatever it may be, that number is your number, and you want to make sure that you can attain that goal. Um, so it's really about looking at how much you're spending and assessing how much you can save within your means. Uh, you don't want to really make it uncomfortable. Where if you're living paycheck to paycheck, yeah, you know what's the best way, right, to save? Uh, the other thing I would say is if you have a um, employer-sponsored account and you want to utilize that and take a look at, at opportunities out there where you can start saving.
0: Okay, sounds good. Next question. This is from Pamela Clark, and Pamela says, hey, Pam. Her question is, what are three behaviors one needs to exhibit when becoming financial financially responsible?
1: Great, great question. Yep. Uh, I would say the first one is discipline, because it's easy to be tempted to move away from your your goals of savings and being on track to be financially responsible so you want to use discipline and stay disciplined I think uh, another uh, behavior so number two would be accountability mm-hmm. so you know if you're going to commit to a goal make sure it's a goal that you can can be sure to, to make and and stick with uh, don't really uh, Establish goals that are unattainable. Be reasonable. I think that's really key. So you want the accountability. Yep. And then the next one is really acknowledge. Acknowledgement would be be it. Number three, but I think when you acknowledge the fact that you're achieving that goal, you want to give yourself kudos and you want to say, gee, I'm on track. So you want to continue to, to check what you're doing to make sure that that's still a goal that's attainable and then give yourself really you
0: know, the praise and the acknowledgement that that you're on track and you're doing that. Okay, that sounds good. Um, Next question. So there's no name on this email. However, the email states the following. What advice would you give to a newly married couple who obviously you know, uh, will have, uh, join accounts. Uh, but this is pertaining to a banking, a bank account. Do you advise, and I'm assuming this email is from a woman. Um, uh, well it has here, what are your thoughts on having a separate checking and savings account versus one with your partner?
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. It's a, a discussion that I had last week, actually, with uh, a dear friend of mine that's been married for uh, about 30 years.
0: Wow. And,
1: yeah, and so, basically, well, I live in the state of California. In the state of California, it's a law that when you get married that you establish a joint checking account, and that everything goes into the joint checking account, which means okay. uh, that your your paycheck. So if each spouse is working, then your paycheck is is to go into that joint checking account. Now, I know that can be tough for for many people, and there might be philosophical reasons, as well as uh, estate uh, planning issues, inheritance, that sort of thing. Right. So I think what makes a lot of sense of what I hear a lot of couples do, is they actually set up a household account mm-hmm. and within that household account all of the household expenses and bills are paid out of that joint account that's the household account right and in most cases they have their separate accounts where they can fund the, the joint account the household account Right. Uh, if they don't feel comfortable having their paycheck go into that account but you have to work together and you have to trust one another. and <laughs>
0: Right? <laughs> and you're married. Hello, you're married. Yeah, yeah that's, you're married.
1: Exactly. Hello? Yeah. And typically there's one spouse that handles the bill paying. Exactly. And um, and so at least in today's day and age it, it tends to be the, the the wife or the female in right. the relationship and the partnership. Uh, back in the day, a lot of women that I had met Um, were the surviving spouse and had never touched the checkbook so people have come a long way these days but you just have to determine what roles are best for each of you and um, I I would say the combined household account works best
0: okay Um, I have a question here from a Ava Blickstein and Ava states hey Ava She said, hi, Carla, interested in buying a home with my boyfriend. However, we're not on the best of terms. If we were to break up, what type of financial setback would I be up against? Kisses. Yeah. (laughs) This sounds like a mess, Ava, girl.
1: Yeah. I, the first thing I would say is be careful. (laughs) Be very careful. Uh, Protect yourself. And, um, you you really should be on the same page so if if you're in a situation where you're not getting along all that well uh, chances are things could get worse Mm -hmm. rather well before they get better and owning property really complicates things so I know of a a couple that were only married nine months when the wife filed for divorce they bought a home together uh, probably five months six months prior to filing for the divorce And it was a nightmare. You can always bifurcate the property, but um, it it just, it's a a pain in the neck. And that was a divorce. Mm -hmm. So with a boyfriend, it's probably going to be a a tougher situation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably not a good idea. And you should see if you're able to uh, qualify for that property on your own. And that would be my best advice to you. Because once you start commingling assets with, uh, a person that you're not married to. It's a big um, mess. And yes, it, it, it opens up uh, a can of worms, so to speak, or Pandora's box. And, you know, it's bad enough doing it while you're married in, yeah. in a marriage that maybe it's not going to last.
0: Thank you so much, Ava. I hope you got that. This next question is from Stella Wells. And Stella says, Hey, Carla, uh, what advice would you, well, this is for you, Lisa, but what advice would you give to a fashionista who walks around with red bottom shoes on, uh, but shares a bedroom with a family member because she can't afford to pay her own rent? There you go. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that, uh, an older, uh uh, episode of sex in the city yeah. where <laughs> Carrie bradshaw loved her <laughs> red bottom shoes we all know what they are yes yes uh, we do. in addition to their designers one yeah. in particular and that's exactly what the situation was although she had her own apartment and struggled to pay the rent uh but was always able to buy the shoes so first of all that um that's kind of a no-no uh basically you you want to be able to Ask yourself, gee, is this something that I can afford? Do I need it? Um, it's about the responsibility. It's about the accountability, having discipline, and really, uh, oftentimes, you know, that's money that you could have started savings accounts with, and and started paying towards the rent and that sort of thing. So, it you know, it, it boils down to. You know what's what's really important to you, and if you need to be paying the rent, then you want to kind of focus on on, on being able to do that and how to do that. And then if you're saving the money, if you're able to pay the rent, and then you start to save the money. Then sure, then why not splurge? I mean, there's always um, opportunities to splurge and the right time to splurge. So right. I totally understand that. I think the other thing is maybe set goals to reward yourself mm-hmm. um, by first starting to save and, and be responsible by paying the rent and then through your savings and whether I don't know if you work or whatever uh, the case may be but if you hit a, hit a goal then that goes towards your splurge of whether it's shoes or something else whatever that may be you can set that goal as something that you, you aspire to own down the road once you've satisfied your obligations
0: Excellent. Stella, I hope you got that. (laughs) I hope you got that, Stella. Um, This is uh, my next question is from Lisa, uh, from Barbara. And actually she starts the email off by saying, Lisa, um, thank you so much for answering my question. The question is, and it says, obviously the more money you make, the more money you can save on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. But what percentage of your income should you save? And is there a general rule of thumb?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. And the first thing I would say is it really depends on whether you have that, you know, if you have an employer-sponsored retirement account, Mm -hmm. They typically have a max that you can max out uh, from your earnings of, of four to six percent, and my suggestion is always to max it out because it's free money that you're getting from the employer, mm-hmm. and you're also contributing uh, pre-tax dollars. So you're you're actually reducing your tax bill from your earnings because you're you're. Reducing your earnings and putting them in this retirement account okay. for use down the road in retirement. So, um, but it really depends on your. It goes back to your budget. It goes yeah. back to you know what do you spend. Uh, basically, you know, are you meeting all your financial obligations, and what do you have left over? And it's interesting. I, I have a program, and I I help a lot of clients get out of debt and then build wealth because. The money's not going to interest. It's actually going back to them they're paying down the debt a lot sooner, and uh, they don't really need a lot of money uh, extra per month. But it it saves them so much money in the long run, and it helps them start to create wealth. But it's it's
0: it's dependent on really what your budget is and what your expenses are and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, excellent. I have another question here, and this one is also addressed to you. Lisa, we're buying a, th- a three-bedroom home here in New Jersey, and we're interested in, or I, well, three-bedroom, but it says, we're interested in renting. What are your views on this? So I don't know if this person meant to say a three-story home. I'm assuming that's what it is and not three bedrooms. Um. what What are your views on this? That's what she states here and there's no name.
1: Right, right. Well, I guess it, it depends on what, what is the motivation in buying the home. Is it investment purposes or as a primary residence? And um, basically do they have the money saved for a down payment? Uh, when they look at their budget, are they able to you know, make the payments if you're going to have a mortgage. I think the the interesting thing is a lot of uh, people um, think about home ownership and, and it is an investment, so to speak, and it is a great uh, American dream. Yep. But there's a lot of other things that you have to keep uh, or really take into account, such yes. as the taxes, yes, right? Yes. That's, that's huge. The repairs. Yeah. yeah. And so you might be able to make the you know from your budget. You might be able to make the mortgage payment, but it also should be able to include monies that you can put aside for repairs, for the taxes. There's insurance also that comes out of that. And uh, and sometimes, you know, it, it, it really boils down to a personal preference because sometimes people prefer to, to rent because they don't want to be bogged down with uh, all the different things that I just mentioned, all the upkeep, and the mm-hmm. expenditures, and that sort of thing. So, um, it really the question becomes, you know, what is the intention of the purchase of the property versus uh, renting? Especially, is this a primary residence or income producing? Is it something you're going to do? Plan to live in this home for you know more than ten years, that sort of thing? Is that also if you're going to get it, have a mortgage, then that also goes into that as well.
0: You know what's really interesting? A lot of the mail that I received, um, a a lot of the questions, a lot of the emails uh, pertain to either buying homes uh, and folks weren't quite sure uh, what that looked like in regards to saving money to do so. Uh, the third was the joint options. I have a boyfriend or a significant other, a husband. Should I have a joint account? Should we, should we not? And then also savings. Uh, folks have sent tons of emails in regarding, uh, and I have one here in front of me, but a lot of this you've already covered. She says, Lisa, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm interested in purchasing a home. I'm a first uh, time home buyer or this will be my first home that I'm buying. Um, I don't know how to even start uh, with finding out what my loan options would be, uh, but I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. Do you think it's feasible for me to try to buy a home or should I just rent until I have additional finances?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing I would say, uh, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's something you probably want to review, what, what you're spending your money on. Mm-hmm. And are, are there any ways that you can cut back on your expenditures to start saving? Uh, it, it goes back to that, the maintenance and the upkeep on the property. And, you know, if you're buying a small, a, a condo where it's not going to, um, you know it's, it's going to be probably a little bit more feasible yep. in terms of the upkeep and maintenance but you're still going to have taxes you're still going to have insurance you're still going to have some maintenance and when things go wrong plumbing issues or whatever may go wrong mm-hmm. but um, you know you don't want to stretch yourself where you find yourself in dire straits and uh if something happens with your your job or uh, you have a financial setback or something of that nature because you really want to. Uh, really try to avoid any sort of foreclosure possibilities or anything like that. And you don't want to stress yourself out by, by really being overstretched financially.
0: Lisa, let me ask you a question. You have a home and you're not able to keep up with the mortgage and there's a foreclosure. How long does it take you to kind of dig yourself out of that situation?
1: If they, if you are foreclosed upon, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, yeah, you big really one. want to avoid that. In, in fact, if you can avoid it, you want to probably try to rent the property out, turn it into a income producing property, mm-hmm. and rent something for yourself or get roommates or that sort of thing. You want to do everything in your power to to uh, really avoid foreclosure if you can. If you absolutely cannot. Then um, it's it's a tough one because um, it, it really affects everything. It, it, it'll affect your credit probably for for ten years, eight to ten years. God. And uh, there's a lot of counseling services out there. Oftentimes, you can reach out to the bank. You can re- reach out to um, other counseling sources that can kind of help work you through that. Okay. So there's there's just a lot of different things out there uh, to try to you know, uh, look into before it gets to that. But once it's gotten to that, it's, it's, it's problematic. And and it's one of those things that that stays with you for quite some time and it affects a lot of things.
0: And so I'm assuming that when it's time for you, maybe at a later date to purchase another home, they review that information as well.
1: They certainly do. Mm. Yes. In fact, you know, it's interesting because we've gone through uh, cycles of easy money, so to speak, or yes. what we call easy credit, yeah. and then tightening, and, you know, we went through the financial crisis, there was a lot of tightening of credit, money wasn't as available as it is today, rates have come down, there's a lot of money out there to be lent, um, but, you know, even when we're in a, in a time period where money is easy to come by, so to speak, or loans are easy to come by, mortgages they still will scrutinize that and then you will still have to explain that and uh, it just it complicates everything and your credit score takes a
0: long time to recover from that oh really
1: yes and it can also affect uh job applications i know in my industry uh I have to go through a financial, uh, background check as well as a a regular background check. So it's a credit check that I have to go through as well. Mm -hmm. And so it it can affect so many different aspects of your life. So at all costs, if you can avoid that, that's really what you want to strive to do.
0: Okay. Got it. Tom, Tom sent an email in and Tom says, Hey, Hey Tom. Um, he says, I need to pay off my credit card debt, but I'm struggling making the minimum payment help. That's what Tom said. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, you'll have my contact information. I have the perfect uh, solution for that. So it's a, it's a program that, uh, basically it doesn't take a lot of extra cash per month. Okay. And if you have at at least 10 to 15, $20 extra a month mm-hmm. from your bills, yep. then, um, you can actually sign up for this program. And what we do is we help you manage your, uh, your credit balances and any other debt that you have, mortgage, it could be anything really, car loan, et cetera. And you can be debt free sooner than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases it could be as soon as five to seven years, uh, less than 10 years. So it's, um, it's a it's a perfect program for people and there's so many people that are in that exact same situation that Tom's in that are looking for help to get out of that. And part of the problem is that the interest is so high that it can really bury you. And if you look on your credit card statements, it oftentimes will tell you how many years it would take to pay that amount off. Yes. Given the interest rates that you're paying. So so if um, you'll have my contact information I'd be happy to if you want to reach out, would be happy to give you more information.
0: I know, Lisa, that you're working on a book. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, I really am. And, and it's um, it's a book for uh, individuals, uh, also divorcees, that are uh, looking to continue in a positive uh, path yeah. financially and to stay out of debt and to prepare for retirement. The number one fear... For those in retirement and those that are not even in retirement is that they are going to run out of money in retirement. And so it's a book that's kind of geared towards preparing you uh, so that that doesn't happen to you.
0: It's a really uh, big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. I I teach a workshop that uh, is titled The 10 Biggest Mistakes People Make in Retirement. And um, so that will be incorporated or it is incorporated in the book. And so there'll be a lot of those tips as well in there.
0: Okay. Excellent. Um, well, Lisa, it was a pleasure having you in the building this evening. Um, myself as well as listeners received tons and tons of helpful information that will definitely lead us down the right track of um, trying to be financially responsible and uh, how to avoid some of the pitfalls that people are, you know, setting themselves up for on a daily basis. Um, I will get the information from you so that um, the listeners who are in, Interested in reaching out and purchasing your book? We'll have that information on hand. Thank you, Lise.
1: Well, thank you so much, Carla. It was really a pleasure, and good luck to everybody out there. And stick with the path to healthy finances.
0: Thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.